Hi, sis. Hi, sis. Are you, uh, where are you? Oh, you're doing that self-quarantining thing. Yeah, aren't you? You better be. Yes, I am. Not only are you, but we are. Launch Left, we're inviting guests from their home to talk with us about how they're staying creative, share with us artists that they like. We're adapting quickly as artists, and I want us to provide that platform here on Launch Left to continue that conversation. We're going inside. We're all coming home on Launch Left. That love it. Launch left at home. Launch left, launch left, podcast, podcast. We're the stars and we launch left. Hi, I'm Rain. Hi, and I'm Summer. And you're listening to Launch Left at Home, a space for fame creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels, an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. We hope you're all doing okay out there. How are you holding up? We've been inside. I've been inside for, God, I swear, I think almost two weeks straight. Yeah. I walk outside. I mean, I try to get outside a little bit, but... Uh, I still have not started experiencing cabin fever, but I am thinking of everyone else and it's getting more and more dire uh, because the entire country has shut down. Well, most aspects of it, I don't, you know. Yeah. A lot of people out there working hard and, you know, working hard so we can stay home. And we're staying home so that they can be out there and work hard. So it's like a, it's a nice new reciprocal societal situation. Yeah, but there are still a lot of people out of work and home um, more and more every day. And the longer we go, it definitely, you can, you know, it's palpable, the feeling of, uh, of um, financial panic. Uh, so just, this space, trying to make as much joy as we can, have conversations with artists and see what they're doing. And um, today we have a guest that is in, that fits the bill of uh, a rebel creative, I would say. Wouldn't you say that, Summer? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I think our next, our guest is, is really uh, a rebel creative, somebody with- a famed creative. Yes, a famed creative. Thank you. What 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 would you say about our guest? I feel like would, you know more about her. I don't. I I don't know much, and I'm really excited to get to know. And I know that what I do know is that my children are huge fans of her. Um, uh, I know that she is a rebel, and that she has managed against um, all odds to rise above and be and be like the only female in uh on fairfax in in that district with her with her own store um and in turn has brought like the female creatives over there to like the to boy central um which is always so rad yes uh, and um I know that I love her sense of style. I know that um, she's a beauty. 
And um, I'm looking to find out all the other things I don't know. Me too. She's incredibly, uh, what I know is that she's very spiritually minded and, and connected to a sort of greater aspiration than um, just what's obvious, uh, the reality, the construct we've all, we've all agreed to. She has a, a really forward way. Oh, here she is. I'll let her expound on that, but she's very much um, a, what is it? Uh, a needle mover. Needle mover. Welcome to the show, the beautiful Melody Asani. Hi, Thank you guys. Hi. Here. Um, you know, I'm just going to start off with uh, two quick questions from my son, if you don't mind answering <laughs> them, and then we can go into everything. But uh, he just asked me to please ask you these things, which is um, funny because usually we ask uh, our guests, like, how did music find you? And Atticus wanted to know, um, how did sneakers find you? What what um, person did you first see whose sneakers you admired, or what was it that brought you uh, joy? Like which which sneakers he wanted? Wow. To know? Okay. Well, um, I think it started with my relationship with hip hop when I was in elementary school. I just like fell in love with hip hop and the culture of it, and. I think that's when I first started getting into sneakers and it was sort of this intersection of basketball and hip hop. And I um, actually wasn't really a big Jordan fan when I was younger. I grew up in LA and I was much more of like a Magic Johnson fan. But um, the first time I saw a pair of Air Jordans on a guy that I liked at school, I was just determined to figure out how to get them. And of course, I didn't get them until like 12 years later, but um, that was probably my first memory of a sneaker that I fell in love with. And then from then on, I just sort of, it became such a cultural thing where you realized what the sneakers represented and the ones that had stories behind them. And, um, and when you wore them, how they sort of identified you as a certain kind of person to everybody else that you went to school with. and. Um, it just sort of kind of became a um, show of like, I feel like at that time when you're trying to figure out how to feel seen and when you're trying to identify yourself, it's sort of like an indicator of what you're trying to be in a way, if that makes sense. <laughs> Um, the other question, um, before we really get started, because this isn't a conversation as much when it's just like me asking questions from my son, but his second question is, what is the most inspiring thing that another designer has told you? Mm. Oh, that's tough. I agree. Mm-hmm. I don't know if another designer has said anything to me that's been super inspiring, but I know a lot of designers whose lives I've read about or whose paths I've sort of followed um, that have been really, really inspiring to me. 
um, where I, I would look at that and I'd see where they started and where they've gotten to. And then I'm just like, whoa, if they could do it, I could do it. Or, you know, but that's, that's generally the most inspiring thing to me is just watching people's journey of how they start and then where they end up. Um, I had a quick question off. She mentioned something about storytelling as part of her first answer to you um, and your son. Uh, and, and that really struck me as like I do as in terms of creative and artistry, I think of you as a storyteller, Melody. Mm -hmm. And would you say that's a fair assessment? Of mm -hmm. Yes, I love storytelling. Yeah. And, and, and I think what's interesting about being a storyteller to me, the, the finished creative product might be a shoe, for example, in your case. Yet you can tell that there is so much story in each design that you do that it feels like much more than a shoe. There's this like, you know, there's, a, there's something deeper going on with your shoes. You know, and I find that that's like why I really, think of you as a true rebel creative, you know, as someone who's, it's not just a flippant thing that, oh, I design shoes. It's like you are telling this very detailed story and um, I think it plays. I think that's what I feel when I look at your work. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, but, it's funny that I, I really believe that um, products contain the intention or the energy that people, the designers put into them. And I think that there's room for everything in the market, you know? And I remember the first time I realized that I went to one of Basquiat's exhibits and it was one of his largest exhibits that he had had in Paris one year. And I remember um, being in front of these pieces for the first time ever and just being so enchanted by them and feeling him in every piece and every story and what must have like, all the words and how they were put together and the colors and what they must have meant. And afterwards, I swear I stood in line for like an hour because I was like, I have to own a print or something so that I don't forget this experience. And then I remember getting into the museum store and looking at the print and being like, this doesn't contain anything. Like it didn't even feel like the same thing. And I didn't end up buying it. And, and it was sort of a big epiphany for me at the time because I was making jewelry and I was getting knocked off a lot by like Forever 21 and these um, kind of like the emergence of these fast fashion companies and I was so distraught about it and from that moment on I just it shifted for me because I was like oh was that you could choose to buy the same thing that I made that cost five dollars but it doesn't even though they replicated it perfectly, it still doesn't have the love that I put into it. And so for somebody that's looking for that $5 thing, it totally fits the bill and there's no judgment on that. But um, if you want the thing that I intended for it, then you would come and pay $40 and get it for me, you know? Right, right. And so I really think that, and that also changed my, perspective on how much I spend on things because it kind of justified it for me where I was like I, I understand that these shoes cost $500 because of the design and creativity and originality that went into this piece and sure if I can't afford it there's no 
there's nothing wrong with me buying the Steve Madden version, but it just kind of depends on what I want and what I need and how I'm going to interact with that product, you know, like what I want it to do for me. And so when I create things, I think of that, like, what do I want to give people or, you know, is it something that somebody's going to wear when they're going to have, they know they're going to have a hard day. Cause that's how I dress. It's like, sometimes I wear clothes that are kind of like protective or armor, make me feel confident or sort of prepare me for the day. So storytelling is so big because you're wearing what you want for the day, you know, or how, how you want to feel in so many ways. Yeah. Sorry. To I, I love it. I love it. And something that you said at the very beginning, which struck me, is that you felt that there is like, it seemed like you were saying that there was room in, in the product place for innumerable products. Due yes. To, due to each per, what I'm hearing, or I certainly, uh, my, my point of view of your work or anybody whom I admire, is that it is their unique perspective that I am buying into. It, it is that I'm buying into right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so therefore, it's funny, I just like went on a walk today and um, there was like a free oranges, a box of like free oranges out some, outside somebody's yard and it said, you know, free, take what you want. And also I have, you know, sourdough starter um, at my door, if you, if you're six feet away, you're well, you know, ring the doorbell or whatever. And, and then the woman came out and we started talking because my friend is having an issue with her sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was questioning her and my nephew, um, is a big sourdough guy. And, um, and I, and she said, you know, well, you could, I said, can I video you? can you give me some tips for my friend and I'll video view from 10 feet away? And she said, well, yeah, sure. But there's a lot on YouTube that your friend can just look up. <laughs> and I just thought like, yeah, but I, I, you're you. Mm -hmm. I, I want your unique opinion on, on this very thing that you're, and you're offering it, like you're offering starter mix. So like, why not? And there was like some, some interesting connection between me and this random human being in that I felt in a moment of acknowledging her uniqueness as a human being by yeah. saying, I want to hear from you. And there was like this, um, you know, I don't know. It was just an interesting light. And it's amazing. To me, it just connected to what you were saying. How do you think this time, um, if at all, will affect um, your, your design aesthetic? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think that, I mean, I've, I started my business 11 years ago. And ever since I started, I've never taken a sick day. Like I've worked nonstop for the last, so it's so crazy being home. Like I've mm -hmm. never, I've never been home for any reason <laughs> this long. Um, but it feels really good because I feel like I'm being led more by intuition daily. So like I'll think of people and reach out to them. Like I don't really have that luxury usually. Like sometimes people will pop across my radar or things will kind of like come across my screen and and some, most of the time I forget, um, sometimes I follow up. 
but now it's really cool because I get to really um, follow that kind of that internal compass in a lot of ways, which is really cool. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just excited. I've been watching documentaries and I've been researching people and things that I've wanted to for so long, but haven't had time to do. So I, I definitely think that all that inspiration is bound to funnel into something. I just don't know what yet. And was it, in, was it not until you became a designer that you noticed that your, um, the letters of your name spelled out me? And how much has that um, been part of your journey as a, as a woman, as a designer, as like, as somebody who's standing in her, in her, uh, on her own, in her own, in me? Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I didn't realize it until people started referring to me that way. And, um, and so I just thought it was like a new thing. But then a few years ago, I was looking through um, one of my mom's albums of when I was a kid. And my dad had built this like little, um, like wooden tree house thing, not in a tree, but like a little tree house in our backyard. And I would always do things with this tree house. And it's so funny because I hadn't remembered this until this was like 30 years ago or more. And on the side of the treehouse, I had wrote M.E.'s candy shop and, or like M.E., you know, and it, it was like my own storefront in my backyard when I was like five or six <laughs> that I had painted myself. So it was so cool because I was like, oh, my God, I've always been this I just didn't I always knew it but I just didn't know it <laughs> um, and, and, and then I uh, I've just got to ask this because every single answer you've given over the last few questions there has been in it you've either used the word blessing or you've had this um, reformation of the outcome into something potentially positive that you're still questioning what it will lead to and all that how much does spirituality and um connection to spirit uh play out in your work and who you are as a person are you is that a lot of of, of who you are as an artist do you have a spiritual practice yes i mean I, my spiritual practice is a big deal of who I am, um, just because it sort of grounds me each day and um, gives me a little bit of memory of who I am and why I'm here. But I think the big sort of, for me, the big shift was when I, um, I think when I established my relationship with my creator or with God, I don't know what that was. Yeah, sorry, one second, I don't know what that is. You good? Chris, is that you? No. That was bizarre. <laughs> um, so that was God, guys. It was God. God. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that growing up, I, I realized at some point that growing up, um, you know, I think our moms, our mothers are our first idea of the creator, right? Like you come out of her. She was God to me for so long. Like I think it's just subconsciously or consciously your mom is your first creator and um so i think growing up without being really aware of it 
I had adopted my mom's beliefs of what God was as my own. And so I believed God was uh, something that existed, but that I didn't really have a personal relationship with. And I believe that it was kind of a male figure. And I, you know, and these aren't things that I admitted to, but I would notice them when I would do things like I would try to pray where I wouldn't pray about specific, like certain things because I was ashamed or um, whatever. It was just like my own, I had created this idea of what God was. And then um, I kind of set out to like kill that God like kill I was like I need to kill this belief or idea of God and just start from scratch so I did and then I for every day for a, a, quite a long period of time like two or three months I'd wake up and I'd be like show me what you look like to me um, increase my connection to you as you are not what I think you are and show me my path and it was like my prayer every single day and I feel like I was shown a number of things in a number of different ways that were like direct messages to me. And at the end of it, I was like, whoa, I have direct access, direct access to um, unlimited resource, like the most powerful, incredible, loving, beautiful, beyond my comprehension resource that I can ever ask for. And so when I started um, praying to that God, which was my God, who I believed God was, or the creator, whatever you want to call it, um, it really shifted my relationship towards a lot of things because I realized that like I was created to succeed and I I was created with a certain purpose and that my creator is just dying to support me in fulfilling that there's like nothing, there's no guilt, shame, punishment. Like I, I really didn't want to get caught up in like the sort of lore of that kind of God that my, you know, other people believe in. Um, and so that's, I think that's attributed a lot to my perspective because I, I really feel like as long as I show up as myself and I pray every day that I can, that I, you know, I have no veils in my way or nothing to obscure my vision. As long as I do that, then I've done everything that I could do. And and to me, that's the highest form of worship and the highest form of service to my creator as being exactly what I think I was created to be. And if, if that's not it, then I would hope that I would see the signs or have the awareness to be otherwise. So it's really all I could do. Profound. Thank you. That was really, really good to hear. Um, that was really profound. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I... I love that about you. And I love that about this conversation. Whenever it gets to this part of the conversation, when Summer and I talk to artists and there's that little bit of like the divine in what we are talking about, my my spirit, the resonant frequency in me that goes, you know, <laughs> so excited. So 
thank you for being up for that and for sharing. I think it really is the most important thing that we can do is ask that question of ourselves. Why are we here? Like, why did I come in? What, why, how, how can I serve? Why am I here and how can I serve, you know, to help others? So I always love hearing other artists. Uh, Melody, how important is it to you, um, given what you just shared, that your identifying gender is female and is that some and do you does that play into your success story does that how does that play into your life do you like to be referred to as a you know woman designer um, or would you prefer just designer like how much of that is is part of your identity um <clears throat> well it's an interesting question there there are times i guess it depends on where i'm drawing from when i'm doing whatever you know and sometimes i wish i could just be a soul you know it's like because i think it's so much we're so much greater than gender you know it's like it doesn't even matter but then you're faced with the hard reality every day that we still have existed for all this time and we've never experienced equality on this earth in any way shape or form like we still haven't experienced it we don't know what it looks like we don't know what it feels like we have an idea um but it just doesn't exist and i think that on a number of levels that the feminine is very aware of that and it affects us in all kinds of ways. I mean, you can't tell me that every time you get your period, it, it's not tangled up in you picking up on your role as a woman in the world and the complications that come with that or the difficulties. And so, I mean, I think that um, I identify as a woman because I experience a lot of the things that um, aren't experienced by, um, well, I don't know. It's a tricky question. I think that um, in a perfect world, I would like to be identified as genderless. But I think that given the state of where we're at, it's kind of inextricable from how I operate in the world because I'm, I'm just simply not equal. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Is music and a big part of your creative? Is music, do you draw inspiration from music? Huge. Huge. Yeah. Do you, when you're designing, are you uh, listening to music? Are you one of those people that just, it's like got a soundtrack going kind of as you work? Um, it depends. It's funny because I couldn't used to listen to music while I was working because it was too distracting for me because when I listen to music, I like to listen to music. Yeah. But then um, there is that acoustic album that Lauren Hill made, and that was the only album that I could listen to on repeat days at a time, literally the only one, and I could work with that album. And I don't know why, maybe it just made me feel like home and made, made me feel like seen and supported and understood. And 
I, there's just something about that album that is the only one that I've ever been able to work to. I but, feel that way about Lauren Hill in general. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's something about anything that she does that makes me feel at home and willing to like go there everywhere. Any song that she's singing, I, I'm, I'm willing to be there with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's... Yeah. Super icon. She's, yeah, incredible. Game changer. Mm -hmm. Needle pusher. That it sounds has a weird double meaning. Needle pusher. It sounds like a <laughs> you know what I mean. It's not, but moving the needle. Yes. <laughs> now you're joining Launch Left's moving the needle segment with Zami. <laughs> Love that. Um, Summer, someone's got a good one. I can see her thinking over there. Uh, no, it's just actually an old one from the from the beginning of the conversation, or somewhere in the conversation. You were talking about again, like you know, back to to your work and to um, is that you said uh, that this idea that we used to say, Ruby and my friend Ruby and I, and co-designer and co-owner of the store that we had together, um, some odd for many many years. And we used to say, instead of there being um, someone for everything, uh, wait, what was it? There's something for everyone, right? That's a saying, Some, mm -hmm. something for everyone. Yeah. We yeah. always used to think that there was like, there's something, oh wait, something for everyone. There's every, there's something, something for someone, someone for everything mm. was, was our like retail, uh, philosophy or what we would come away with is because you know you could have like a dress sitting in the store for a good six months and nobody ever picked it up wanted to try it on or anything and then six months down the road somebody would come in and that would be their they would just immediately go to that one piece and and it was it was their thing and I wondered like is there is there anything that ever that you sort of that you design that maybe doesn't um it doesn't maybe sell well to like a general public but then you find that like there's a certain there's a certain person or a certain type or, or something that comes in and that's and that's the very thing that they gravitate towards oh yeah absolutely all the time or, I mean, what, unfortunately, what happens more so is that I'll create something, well, there's two things. There's one that I'll create something that I think is like the most amazing thing ever and no one will buy it. And I'm like, are these people stupid? Like, is that people, do, do they not get this? This is genius. And then I'll make like the stupidest thing ever where I'm like, I guess we'll do that you know, sure, add that in there. And then everybody will just want that thing. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand. We did all these really cool things that took so much more time and effort and thought and people just don't get it. So that's one phenomenon that occurs. Yeah. And then the other one is where I'll make something that I think is great. You know, I love it. And it'll literally sit in, on our website or whatever for like years and then somebody like a Rihanna will come and wear it and then one time and then we can't keep it on the shelves and it's yeah but that just that just goes to me that doesn't seem like a phenomenon that just goes to prove to me that you're well ahead of your time and 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 that with things and like if 
you know, that you made it maybe two years ago, but it took the world two years to catch up with your vision. And I can't help but think that that just further, Summer's gonna roll her eyes, which I'm looking for. <laughs> that just further substantiates the concept of Launch Left, which is when you give a well-known artist that people respect something that everyone until then thought was valueless, like a, a new song by a nobody artist or a new some, you know, design by somebody, then the world suddenly wants it. <laughs> that there is something to be said for curated by those we trust and you know it's true it's like Rihanna wears it once and now you can't keep it on the shelves but it's that for two years it's pretty it's it's pretty important that um and kind it is a it is a nice thing that our well-known artists do when they support their friends and, and 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 I don't know if that's the case with what you're thinking is, but I always have to bring it back to the launch left concept. That's just how I, it's just how I roll. Look at Summer's amazing profile. <laughs> I'm thinking deeply about um, each collection that you have and whether it is like, um, you know, to me going into your store, like I have seen it, like you mentioned the Basquiat and, and I was, you know, when I walked into your store last, it was like, um, which was a time that you weren't there recently. And I walked in and it, that's exactly how it hit me. Like all of the things hanging up kind of like from the perspective of the door, I'm talking about the one in Los Angeles. It was like a painting with like these colors over here, this over here, like the way that it, that it hit me. And I was wondering like how much of like, you know what you have in the store at one time all comes from one collection that you've designed and and how much that is inspired by one thing or how much you're trying to make it into a cohesive w one thing like a painting hmm. yeah no it's always inspired by a bunch of different they all come from different, completely different things. But then often, um, so I'll go on these different tangents and then it'll be interesting because at the end I'll come back and I'll see this thorough line between all of them. And I'll be right. like, oh, yeah. this, is, this is so cool. They all fit together in this way. Um, but it, again, it's like never something I see at the beginning of it. At the beginning of the process, I just sort of collect everything that I'm inspired by at the moment. And then in the end, I realize how and why it all fits together. I feel like that that is so true for so many different art mediums. Like so often when we speak to artists or, or read about them and their process and their stories, it's, it's, a, it's phenomenal to me. And I've experienced it myself is like how much the quote unquote, like mistakes or errors are become like the very touchstone in the in the very center of of the connection to from the artist to all of the different aspects of their mm -hmm. of their art so true it's very very cool what so do you got true. sis you got <laughs> don't we have three questions I know I was thinking we should change our three questions in general because we're launch left at home now and there's so many other uh there's very they're very obvious 24-hour news cycle what it's telling us constantly um oh, no i'm not listening to that i know uh -huh. either but i'm saying like there's a lot going on for the country right now i i mean of course i still kind of want to ask the same three but i'm also wondering if um um 
we should ask. And if we, there's anything else, I mean, my, my favorite one of the three for that we always will have to ask, no matter the circumstances, is what is your form of activism or how do you, how do you um, use your art to amplify things that um, matter to you, that you really care about? Hmm. Um, I think that I've noticed that I do it in a couple different ways. Uh, one of the ways is just through my products. So it could either be like messaging on the product or some kind of like just ways of putting out messages. Um, and so that's one of the ways. Another way is again, using the product and uh, taking a percentage of it and donating it to a specific cause or person or thing. And the other way, which is my favorite way, is um, I've really turned the Los Angeles store and the New York store actually into sort of a community space. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing that I kind of stumbled upon by accident. But um, after the after the most recent elections, I just felt like we needed uh, to build community and to have more of a sense of community and to bring together, have sp more spaces to bring together like-minded people and create communities with like-minded people because it felt really hard um, just with the political state of things and everything felt very like us versus them when really there's just us. And um, so I created a speaker series, which has been really, really incredible where we've had all kinds of people come in, a lot of activists, um, a lot of, you know, writers, philosophers, like uh, different kinds of people that come in and talk about different things that they're working on and creating um, spaces where we can have open conversation and find solutions to existing problems in our community and seeing where we fit in. And so that's been my sort of favorite thing is just um, being able to bring people together. Have you maintained that virtually in some capacity? Do you have like Zoom calls with all your friends or do you bring some of your thought leaders together just to like talk about this particularly intense time that we're all staying home and quarantining? And yeah, actually this whole last week we've been trying to figure out how to pivot and pivoted it to something digital and so starting next week we're going to start doing instagram lives with um those people actually starting saturday is our first one right on well we yeah. will be tuning into that that is yeah so cool. i know i mean i'm i'm gonna eventually try and get someone to do an instagram live but it's like yes baby, baby steps with her she's very She's very shy, camera shy, believe it or not. It takes a lot to get her to do this. She, she loves artists and she loves talking, right, Summer? So she'll come on this, but anything having to do with like, we're going live now, freaks. <laughs> it is my understanding from past experience that that is I not get it. I totally get it. <laughs> it's not as easy. I don't know how I power through it. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. It's like I do it very sparingly and then I don't even leave it up. You know what I mean? Like I'll do a live song, like a song, and and then I'll just delete it. No. It's just it's kind of like I don't want. Yeah, no. 
it's, it's uncomfortable, but um, I do think that there's something about those live videos where you include other people that's been really like online on, on Instagram live. There's been some moments that are pretty funny of seeing artists that I like talking together mm. on Instagram. So I did that with a couple friends where they would call in while I was playing and we would talk about things and that, and that's kind of neat. It's like a yeah, super cool. To use social media for sure. Um. So you were talking about the messaging in your um, in your designs and what comes to mind for me, obviously, is the um, quote that you put on your um, not your most recent shoe release, but the was it your first um, collab with um, Nike? Nike? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, um, just because I really don't know anything, I, I didn't do any sort of research but uh, about this. So I just wanted to hear from you, like, what was the inspiration for that quote? I know how it landed with me and how it sits with me and how it has um, inspired my son. Um, but I wanted to hear from you, like, what was the inception? Uh, of that for you. What's the, mm -hmm. What's the quote? The quote is, if you knew what you had was rare, you would never waste it. And it was actually um, a quote that Julie, my friend Julie Burns Walker said, and um, she was giving a talk. She's a medical intuitive, for lack of a better word or description. And last year she gave a talk at my store and um, she, she, you know, just sort of how all of us pick up on trends in our own way. She picks up on human trends. So she has like 10,000 clients worldwide that she works with. And she talks about how sometimes she'll work with, um, you know, maybe like 60 different people in her practice a week. And she'll notice that they'll all have like the same symptoms or they'll all come up with the, they'll all talk about the same thing. And it sort of makes her look at the world in a bigger way and be like, why is everybody going through this thing? Mm. And um, so it's really cool. She does these talks sometimes where she just shares trends about what she's noticing in the world. And it's really beneficial to the listener because so often we experience things and we think of them as myopic or individual because we don't talk about it. And then as soon as you share with your friends or you, you're like, whoa, everyone is going through this or this is something you're experiencing this too. Like, wait, you've been arguing a lot with your husband too this week. You know, it's like, and then you talk to everyone and you're like, what's going on with men right now? This isn't uh, my husband thing. Maybe this is a men thing. Like what's happening right now and what can we do and how can we be better and whatever. And so, um, so anyway, it's really cool that she does that. But she was talking about um, how we don't really know what we are. And um, I was telling um, Rain this story, actually, the last time that we had lunch, was that she was sharing this story. Is it too long to share that story about the guy on the skateboard? Okay, so she just shared this really brief story. That's a simple story, but it really moved me, where um, she used to live in South Africa, Julie, and she said that there was this square in her city where everybody would get everything that they needed from that square. It was like the main little commercial square. 
and there was this guy there every single day and he was handicapped. He didn't have the bottom half of his body. So his top half was on a skateboard and that's how he would get around. And so he would roll up on his skateboard every day and he would set his things out and he'd put like a little thing for change. But she said that he never begged. He never asked for anything. And she was like, and something about him just sort of like really commanded your respect or she was like she didn't know how to describe it it was like he hadn't like this level of integrity like she didn't have the words for it and she was like every time she went to put money in his cup she would just kind of like go there really fast and put the money in and then walk away you know or and um you know she would go there every day and eat her food and she'd notice that Every day, everybody around him or in that square would act the same. They would treat him the same. And she was like, huh, so interesting. Didn't think anything of it. And then she said that one day the guy didn't show up. And he came every single day and he didn't show up. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, so she said that one day he didn't show up and she said that everybody was like beyond themselves like within an hour's time like all the neighbors were talking to each other and they're like did you see him did you see him where is he and so they there's like 10 of them that got together and decided to go and look for him because they were so worried that something had happened to him and so basically like half the day goes by they find out what village he lives in they go to the village He's there in the village. He's totally fine. He had business to take care of. And in fact, he's kind of annoyed and frustrated that all these people like found where he lives and like had come there. And so he was just like, what, what is wrong with you people kind of thing, you know? And <laughs> she said that in that moment, she realized that he, he didn't know who he was. And nobody else really knew who he was either. And she was like, what we didn't realize is like that power he had to draw all those people to come over there was his soul. It was like nothing that he did, you know, in fact, he was annoyed by it. Like right. he was like, you know, and if you were to just look at him, you're like, he's this homeless handicapped like nothing and she was like but that's just the way we look at him because we don't know what he really is and she was like basically i'm not doing a good job of saying it but she was saying that who he really is is that that entity you know not a role he's an entity and um that just really struck me because it made me think about all the people in my life and how i feel about them and how oftentimes it has nothing to do with what their job is or what they do or who they are to me in relation to me or anything like that. It's something bigger than that where you just like, you know, you kind of like sober up. And, and I just kept getting deeper and deeper into myself of like, how cool would it be if we all viewed each other from that lens and in turn also viewed ourselves in that way. Like, um, you know, if, because oftentimes I correlate myself with my store, you know, or with my brand. And I'm like, if I shut my brand down tomorrow, 
I would still be me. You know, if the clouds are covering the sun, does, is the sun any less the sun? Cause we don't see it or cause we don't feel it. And so it's all these like bigger, deeper questions that started coming to me. And then that quote really resonated with me is like, if you truly, if you knew what you had was rare, which is that thing, then you would never waste it. You know, if you didn't discount yourself, if you didn't think that, if you didn't think of yourselves as the things that you think give you value or as the things that you think make you who you are, like a woman, a Persian, um, whatever, you know, it's like so-and-so's husband, so-and-so's wife, so-and-so's daughter, so-and-so's whatever. It's like, if you were to strip all those things away, you're still something and what is it, you know? And so that's where it came from. Powerful being. <laughs> you, you are a powerful being. No. That's a beautiful story. I, I mean, both times it really feels good to hear it and be reminded of it. And I think it goes back to the, what you were saying originally was like, find who, you know, who you are and and why you're here like that kind of you know when you discovered what spirituality was for you and what god was for you you know and that you stay in that intention where you you ask mm -hmm. and you receive it's kind of like you know oh pencil yes i have another question relating to exactly that is um was there um in order, to, like you explained your spirituality to us or finding your God or your higher power, um, you know, uh, like from, you know, your mom creator, and then you kind of killed that creator and found deep and found a new one. Was there a fire that you walked through before you found that? Bef um, was, was there a, a, a massive happening, uh, pain, suffering, earthly um, sort of killing off of something um, before that knowing revealed itself to you? Yes, so much for such a, it felt like forever. Right. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've, I thought that I was alone in this, but I know that I'm not now. I feel that this generation or this era of people especially, I feel like we're the firsts in many regards, you know, in terms of breaking with family history. And so I, you know, in my family, I was the first woman to ever finish school. I was the first woman to ever have a job. And I was, um, by doing those things, I was breaking um, every single thing that every single woman before me in my family's history had dared not do. And that kind of thing is very real. Like it's not just a mental thing where you have to like mentally get over it. It's like cellular, you know? I really feel like it's like you have the memory of it in your body and you've inherited it and now it's your privilege really to transform it to so and you know get rid of it so that you're able to unfold and be who you are 
as opposed to feel like you have to repeat history because it's safe or because it's always been done that way. And so the biggest pains for me were that process of like feeling like I was letting everybody down and feeling like I was doing something so wrong and almost like, how dare you do this kind of thing? Like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And it was so real to me. And it, and it was, it was really deep because it, transmutes on so many different levels culturally because up to then I didn't realize how many cultural codes I was a part of until I started going against them because then it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you're not mm-hmm. allowed to do that and wow. it, it, it it transcended from everything to like my value as a woman which I didn't really have one in my culture you know it's like your value lies in who you marry so if I were to marry a doctor, I would be Mrs. Doctor Melody, blah, blah, blah. And that would be more valuable than me becoming Dr. Melody Asani, like on my own. And it's like things, these things that are right under the surface that nobody talks about or qualities, like things that um, the culture puts on you. And every culture has these. I'm just talking about my own culture, but um, that they put on you in terms of like, these things are attributes of God. Like, um, like my mom thought, thinks of seduction as like an attribute of God, you know, it's not about attraction. It's about seduction. And so I don't have a seductive bone in my body. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to operate on that. And for my whole life, especially when it came time for me to uh, like of age to be married it was like, I wasn't good enough because I didn't know how to do it. Like, I didn't know how to like lure a man. And it's like, then you think of yourself like, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not attractive or I'm not pretty or whatever it is. But really what they're saying is that attraction isn't enough. Whereas the true attribute of the creator is really attraction. That's where it comes from your core. And when it's like a natural thing, when you're attracted and attractive, not seduction, where you're, you know, that's like the disempowered place you go to when you have nothing else. And so it's like all these like subtle things that you learn about um, that are holding you hostage to repeating history versus like being your being who you were created to be. And that is the hardest part. And I think that was the part after I did that, I felt like I could do anything in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you said about letting everybody down or that, that, that was what you felt like you were doing. It sounds though like, and this is what's so inspiring about that that you just said to me, what just immediately came across is like the one person that you didn't let down was yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that... really hard because <sighs> it's so hard because you don't, you want to, you know, especially growing up, you want to be a good kid. You want to make your parents proud. Like, and in my, my situation, my dad died when I was young. So I wanted my mom you know, I wanted her to be proud of me and I wanted, I didn't want to do anything to rock the boat. I'm like, she's already been through so much. Now she has to go through me. You know, it's like all these things, but they're all 
they're not accurate. You know, it's like, and it's interesting because uh, in hindsight, I was like, if just one person had seen me for who I was when I was younger, just that's all I needed was just one person. But the whole time I received projection of what I should be and it had nothing to do with who I actually was or what I actually was. And that's the unfortunate thing, especially when you come from deep cultures of survival and all those kinds of things. It's like you're, you're just told what to be that's good or what's to be that's whatever. And you're never yeah, seen you, for who you actually are. Yeah. You say unfortunate though, but to me, I see you and like, I, all I can see is somebody who overcame that mm-hmm. to, to ride and rose above and walked through. And that is like such a beautiful inspiration and not, and I don't see one thing that's unfortunate about that. And yeah, and I agree. Not one thing. No, I agree too. I mean, I I definitely think that it's inspiring. And it's part of the huge part of the reason why I do what I do is because I feel like if one person was able to do that for me, all it takes is one person. So if you could be that one person to even just one other person, it's like, I mean, the greatest gift, you know? But it's like, but why? Why should we have to... Why we sh- I, I feel like we don't have to do it the hard way. We just have to evolve into doing it a better way. Yeah. But we're so scared. We'd rather repeat history with the confidence that n- knowing that it'll fail rather than going off into right. trying something new to and vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. But the unknown is where all the magic happens. Amen, sister. Ah, wow. <laughs> Woo! I feel like it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday every day with Melody Asani. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Melody Asani, and I'd like to introduce you to a small unknown artist that I love named Flea. I was working on my shot. Oh, yeah. I bet you're getting great at basketball. I mean, you've always been great. Well, thing is, I never, when I was a kid, I never learned how to shoot properly. I always had this weird backwards inside out shot. And I finally decided at the ripe old age of 57 to abandon my foolish ways and learn how to shoot the ball properly. And Melody knows a woman who's a basketball coach and she taught me how to shoot right. So, but I feel like I'm starting all over. But the great thing about getting old and starting all over is when you do something new, you get to have that feeling of learning to do something new and getting excited about it. I'll never understand when people get like, oh, I'm not good at it, I don't want to do it. It's the only thing that keeps me going is things that I'm not good at. Thank you for that inspirational tidbit. How come it took you so long to learn how to do it like this then, Flea? Well, <laughs> I think because for some reason, I just came from like the, you know, people learned how to do it when they were kids and I kind of came from the school of, of weed at the park basketball, where I just never learned properly. is the truth of the matter but you were still killing it in your own way um yes i was worried about people and worried about like what's going to happen a little bit like but but like if i just stay in the moment i love being home and we're just so fucking lucky that we can be at home and have food to eat in a a cozy spot to land i feel a lot of empathy for the people that just can't like, because a lot of people don't just live month to month with paychecks, they live day to day, you know? 
and people that are poor right now, I'm, I worry about them because mm -hmm. just like having food every day and not getting evicted and, you know, that. And no, I really, really think it's important that the billionaires, like with multi-billionaires, like put a pool together and just make sure everyone's okay. The billionaires, yeah. not yeah. the millionaires because they wouldn't be able to do that, but the billionaires should just put, you know, couple bill each into a pool a thing sure. to make sure everyone's okay it seems like such the right idea <laughs> for sure and i just wonder what like you know like millionaires can do too or just people that yeah. can just spare like an afternoon to make sure a bunch of kids eat or something you know like i don't know i hope that there's i saw a talk with bill gates yesterday and he just gave 100 mil for the vaccine Nice. The process of the, making the vaccine for it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Gates and Melinda have always, they seem very active in helping humanity with their money, which I just love. And I just wish that for all yeah. super, the super wealthy, you know? There's a public school on my corner and they are giving out lunches still um, to all of the kids and anybody in the community who uh, needs it and they're setting up every single day and people are going to pick up the, um, lunches and stuff. I mean, I would like to see a world where those lunches are filled with like whole foods and nutritious, um, you know, actually nourishing our bodies with, you know, great food as opposed to the, um, you know, chocolate milks and the Lunchables. But um, I feel like maybe this, this time in our world is a little bit about that, about sort of like breaking down the, breaking down what we've built up that is not working yeah. for the, you know, for the greater, majority it is not freaking working and maybe this is a time where it's just like being dismantled for from you know the universe is just going like we're gonna come in and and like you know level the playing field here guys and when you rebuild let's let's rebuild with a, a th more thoughtful foundation mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's my I that would I love that from your what is what does mom say from your mouth to God's ears. Um, uh, she also says when I want your opinion I'll give it to you. So I do love it. <laughs> she does say that it's true. When I want um, your opinion I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah, I know she's yeah that's mom. Yeah no it's cool to think about people having to sit still and be thoughtful for a little bit. I mean I imagine a lot of people are really just kind of numbing themselves in this mind like whether in this time whether it's with drugs and alcohol or with like you know video games and bad television but a lot of people are being forced to you know go into their interior and think about stuff and I, there's a lot definitely like like optimistically there's a lot of potential in the downtime for for us to grow as people I'm glad you mentioned that because that was what I was going to say is like in times like this when there is so much extreme um, collective stress and um, global like collective experience of, of fear, it is the time that we most have to create virtue and joy and dedicate it and offer it 
because, and just like you said, like even matter if you don't have money, like how can we help, right? Like uh, everyone who's suffering. So it's such an important time to think uh, in regard to all of us and how we're connected. And that's one thing that this virus is forcing us to do because it, it doesn't discriminate. It's not a classist virus. It's not a racist virus. It's not a sexist virus, you know? So everyone- And it's global. Yeah. yeah. And it's global, and it's but quite it's literally showing us how we are all connected. Because <laughs> totally, right? the, the lessons are profound. That said, and and it doesn't discriminate in any way, but it's gonna, you know, the poor people are gonna get fucked. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like we're saying, like people who can't afford to to give up their jobs, and people who can't have the like the luxury. Like we're lucky; we can all sit in our houses and and like have the thoughtful time. But for a lot of people, there's gonna be a lot of desperation and, and uh, fear. So in that, and also like the government's just not gonna, they're gonna bail out, you know, uh, massive corporations and have the trickle down economics theory to, you know, make sure the economy, that's their biggest fear is that the economy doesn't continue to support the way that it is. But there's, there's very little, like the way that poor people are gonna get help is through community activity. So. I, you know, I just hope that we can all be conscious about that, and, you know, and I how, want How do we lift that up and, and show that experience? Is it, you know, here we are in saying like, you know, expressing our gratitude um, for our great fortune and our privilege in order to walk through this, um, you know, by being able to stay home, et cetera. And, and, you're, and you're talking about the poverty stricken, it being incapable of doing that. So how, what can we do? Like, how can we show, show what is happening? Cause I, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not seeing it. I can't see it. And I want to be able to see it, to be able to share it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that like, for one, like what you were talking about, like, it's really cool that the public school on your corner is giving out food to kids. And, and also like in, in like you're yearning, like it would be cool if they were giving out more nutritious food, more conscious food that was really healthy for kids. So maybe like we get together and we think, okay, what are the food banks that do the best work that really help people and that are conscious about food too? Cause they exist. There are people that have structures that immediately help people in, in you know, less fortunate, uh, less privileged communities. So, you know, that's something that we can do ourselves is like research and figure it out and give what we can. Like you can give 50 bucks or you can give, you know, 10,000 bucks, whatever, like you can give 10 bucks, whatever it is, you know what I mean? If you're capable of helping, there are ways to do it, you know? Okay, we're gonna, um, I might hit you up for some, um, for like a vegan food, food truck situation that's hitting, hitting some, some food deserts. Yeah, I'm gonna look yeah. and see. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Too bad we can't have like a a, a, a car that drives itself, a, a truck that drives itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, you know, because we're trying to maintain social distancing and keeping people off the. I mean, think the about like a really cool way, like a really cool thing to start would be that, like, yeah. vegan food truck that's that it's free. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Donate to hire chefs and get food and have it stocked full every day driving around just giving out food yep 
Well, we know quite a few vegan chefs that are, they had to close their, their brick and mortar doors. Um, yeah. And, you know, their catering company for now, for good reason, for the safety of everything, but are in a situation, you know, an untenable situation with their business. So we've been thinking of things like that too. Like how can we just like help at least get them working and free food for people in, in like you said, less privileged circumstances. Yeah, that was such a great idea. I remember when I think know, I stole it from Joaquin. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. yeah. I think you may have. Yeah, that's good for us for giving kudos. Even like like now, like it's like you say, like it's like thinking about now and the Corona situation. So we're thinking of these ideas, but these are ideas that are always important. You know? Exactly. So, exactly. Like that would be a really great thing if we put our heads together and figured out that truck. Like I'd be down. I'd pitch in you know, and have it like just goes, you know, to neighborhoods where people need food every day and gives yeah. out food. I remember like when I, when I was, you know, I was starting this, this music school in Watts and I was talking to one of my friends who grew up in Watts when he was a kid and he said, when he was a kid there in the 60s, the Black Panthers every day, him and his brother would go to the, where the Black Panthers were and they gave him food. And they had yeah. a lot of people all day long and they just gave out free food every day, that's what they did. You know? Yeah, so, like the Hare Krishnas on, on college campuses around the country, right? Yeah. Around the world for yeah. for decades have been doing that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All, right, All right, I think we should do it. I'm on it. I'm on it, guys. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm we'll gonna go shoot cooking. baskets, but if go you guys want to do that, I I'm in. All right. We'll do it. Melody Asani, sweet. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.